Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni Di Giovanni, and joining me today is Adam Christou. Adam, how are you? I'm going okay. It's uh, week 10 of um, living in isolation, living in social distancing, and I feel like I've finally acclimatized. So yeah, feeling, feeling okay. It's a good opportunity to play some games, and that's what we have been doing in spades. Uh, now, you would know Pixel Sift because we've made our name delivering some of the best indie games coverage for Australia and around the world, and this is Mainstream. Episode 13, and on Mainstream, we discuss those high-profile blockbuster games that we've been playing recently, both from the back catalogues or relatively brand new. Sometimes they're in a surprise when they come out, as is one of the games we've been talk- we'll talk about this week, and also what we've been checking out in the news. Now, Adam, it's a bit of a tactical show today. Can you tell me which tactics game you've been playing recently? Oh, I, I'm so glad we're doing a tactical show. I have been playing XCOM Chimera Squad. Uh, which is the yeah surprise XCOM release that came out a couple weeks ago, and it's it's sort of like a loose sequel to XCOM Two, um, but with a lot of different twists. And I've been playing Gears Tactics, uh, which was uh, I, I guess a surprise direction. It's been out uh, for a little while now, but um, was teased a long time ago, and brings a tactical sort of uh, gameplay to the Gears of War universe. So let's jump in. This is mainstream by Pixel Sift. All right, Adam, XCOM, Chimera Squad. It's a game with a lot of history, a lot of legacy. Uh, this one kind of came out of nowhere. Tell me what it is for people who've never played a game of XCOM in their life. Oh, this game is great. Um, so XCOM Chimera Squad is sort of like an experimental mini-sequel to the most recent XCOM game, XCOM 2. Um, so it takes a lot of the systems and mechanics of the kind of revamped XCOM games from the last 10 years and kind of changes them, twists them, warps them. And this game kind of becomes a playground for reinventing what you could expect from an XCOM game. Um, Some of the mechanics that you might anticipate from an XCOM game get thrown out the window and replaced with other things. But it all kind of comes together in a really fascinating way. Um, Lore-wise, it's set in a futuristic cityscape. Um, It's post-XCOM 2, so in the XCOM universe, aliens invade Earth. Um, in the first XCOM game uh, from the kind of relaunched franchise in the early 2010s, um, you play a group of um, super soldiers uh, from an elite um, sort of almost UN task force, basically, um, to stop the alien invasion. That attempt to stop the invasion fails. In XCOM 2, it's about 30, 40 years later, and you're playing the guerrilla soldiers that are fighting back against an alien occupation. 
Um, and in XCOM Chimera Squad, it's kind of about picking up the pieces of a society and Earth that's been forever changed by an alien invasion. So um, the aliens, the elders have been kicked off Earth. Um, they've left behind hybrids and other alien races that they've brought along to Earth with them who are now all trying to coexist and live amongst humans in society. And this game is kind of asking the questions of, you know, what happens in a society um, that's that has to pick up the pieces after a war? And and you essentially play an XCOM squad that are cops. And, and you know, I have some questions and thoughts about playing cops and like the hoorah energy of, of cop culture in games. But essentially, you're like an elite task force that is uh, being brought into a city called City 31. Um, and you're there to assist in an investigation uh, after a kind of a terrorist attack that's happened. So you're investigating multiple uh, fringe groups within the city and helping local law enforcement. And the way that this game really kind of flips the playbook from, I guess, traditional XCOM is it really tweaks some of the mechanics and systems that you would expect from um, an XCOM game. So traditionally, an XCOM game um, has uh, two layers of gameplay. There is um, a tactical layer, which is your missions that you do, where you control your units and your squad. um, And you kind of deploy maybe four to five soldiers and you roam through a map and you the goal when you're in those maps is to kind of engage um, a small group of enemies, control that engagement as much as possible and not accidentally like um, wake up the entire map and have lots of enemies chasing you at once. And then you want to kind of kill them all in one turn, basically. You want to do the best job that you can to kind of take out an encounter without getting attacked back. Um, that'll be the most successful way for you to do a, a kind of attack in any sort of mission. This game kind of flips that script in the tactical sense where instead of having a big map, you're actually doing what cops do, which is you have got um, a whole bunch of like, um, you know, charges or maybe you're rappelling into a base. Um, but essentially, you're the cops that show up like the the squad cops um, that jump into a single room or a small encounter, bust through the doors, and then you fight like these mini fights instead of big sprawling map based objectives. It's all based around like one room. And you might have a mission that takes place in two or three encounters across two or three different rooms. But essentially, it's kind of like, you know, um, a jigsaw puzzle. It's like a small little room that you're in. There might be five or six enemies. There's a breach phase where you're busting into the room and you can either take immediate cover or try to knock out a couple of enemies before mm. the combat starts. And then you go into a combat round. Um, so that's, that's it's a very different sort of tactical combat system than what you would get from a traditional XCOM game. And then the other layer of XCOM games is the strategic layer. And that's like when you're building your base or you might be moving around and collecting resources to upgrade your units. And Chimera Squad kind of pulls back from the complexity of previous XCOM games when it comes to that strategic layer, simplifies it a little bit. Um, There's still like some decisions that you'll have to make about what you're doing on that layer, but it's far more relaxed. And I actually like that. It's This game ends up feeling like a jump in, do some really fun, satisfying kind of quick fire missions and then jump out sort of feeling for me it would be amazing on mobile or like tablet or something i'd really love to have this on switch and just be able to play it on the go it feels like you can jump into a mission and then bounce out and i love that um i mean that was probably one of my major i guess fears i don't know if it's a criticism maybe people love this particular aspect of it but the thing that for the type of game player that i am i always felt in the XCOM series there was points where if you hadn't invested in the right upgrades the right gear uh, at early enough stages if you made a few incorrect uh, loadout choices and leveled up the wrong sort of dudes you could just be 
in a really bad spot and just effectively hit a wall um, and you just get completely wiped out. And do you think that sort of smoothed out that experience a little bit for this game? Absolutely. And the way that that's been smoothed out is due to some fundamental changes to the way units work in this game. So in a traditional XCOM game, your units are fully customizable. You can change their names, their hair, their outfits, give them cool sunglasses, um, you know, dress them up basically um, and create your own elaborate backstories for them. When they rank up from a recruit, they'll get randomly selected a class, one of four or five different classes that they can be. Um, but in XCOM Chimera Squad, um, your units are fully realized characters. They have their own unique voice acting, their own unique backstories. There's about 12 or 14 of them in total, but you can only pick up to eight to join your squad at the end of the day. So um, a playthrough of XCOM Chimera Squad will mean that you're missing out on experiencing a whole bunch of characters from this roster, um, which you know creates the opportunity to replay it in the future. Um, But because these are fully formed characters, every single one has its own unique niche, its own tech tree, its own skill system. And, um, you know, they are locked into different weapons as well. Um, It really provides um, a requirement for you to um, invest in those characters on a level that you, you, you basically can't go into a death spiral like you would in a previous XCOM game. And also because they're unique characters that need to continue because of the story, Um, One of the mechanics of XCOM is being thrown out the window, which is permadeath. Um, You fail missions if characters die and you don't stabilize them by running over to another character and helping them um, kind of stabilize their health. If they bleed out and die, the mission fails. All characters have to come back. If someone does take a lot of damage on a mission, there's a chance they'll get what's called a battle scar. And you have to put them into training to remove that battle scar. Otherwise, they'll have diminished stats or have handicaps um, in future battles. So... Um, the way that you can death spiral in this game instead is that you build up a whole bunch of scars and instead of being able to send your units to get trained up with new um, special perks, you have to use that training time to remove their scars instead. So it becomes a bit a bit of a different dynamic when it comes to mm. investing in your squad and not feeling like your squad is going to be um, completely just lost because you've had a mission go wrong and like six of your best units have died and now you're back to square one, but enemies are really strong now. Um, so I, I really like that change. And, you know, there's 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 that feeling of loss of, ah, oh, I really like the personal story and narrative building that you can create when you design your own um, units and kind of tell your own backstories for them. But the characters in this game are fantastic. So your squad is made up of a combination of aliens and humans. Um, Godmother is one of my favorite characters. She is the squad leader and she is like your classic assault unit. She has a shotgun, but... Um, I've upgraded her with extra training so that she has like really good movement abilities. She can like run through half, half the map basically and has a, she got a special shotgun, uh, a unique shotgun that gives her a run and gun ability, uh, which means she can take an extra shot when she runs across half the map. And so she's just vaporizing everything left and right. I have, um, an alien, uh, snake soldier called talk who can just spit poison and also like grab people with her tongue and like suffocate them which is really cool she can basically like lock out an enemy for an entire round and then actually we need to talk about rounds as well because that's changed in the XCOM sense as well where traditionally in XCOM rounds would play out side by side so um, you would have your turn and all your units would use their action points and then the enemy would have their turn and they would use all their action points but instead Chimera Squad flips the script and it's a little bit like playing something like Final Fantasy X where 
there is uh, a list of like um, actions on the side and everyone has a priority system. So you're sharing turns between yourself and the enemy. Ah. So you'll see like a priority That, that list. seems like quite like it make in terms of like, I sort of understood why you would have that in a tactics game before because it's sort of almost like a digital board game in a way. You know, you're taking your turn moving the pieces, but it sort of does make more sense that things would be happening and reacting as you're making moves anyway, right? Like- it dramatically changes the way that you have to approach combat in an XCOM game. Like in the past, I feel like you would prioritize, you know, I'm going to kill that soldier on this turn because I can guarantee it's going to happen and I'm going to knock them out. And then when their round comes around, they're gone. But in Chimera Squad, it's like, who's coming up next? It's like, sure, I can take out this soldier right now, but their turn is turn nine out of 12 turns this round. And there is another soldier who is going to move in two turns time. And I really don't want them to have a move. So this game almost becomes like a juggle and a dance between disabling or taking out enemies before they can have a turn rather than trying to just wipe out every enemy that you can in your own turn. So it really flips the script of like, what are you meant to do strategically in an XCOM game, which I really enjoyed as well. It's, um, it's a really refreshing approach to the, I guess, the mechanics of XCOM games. And I'm really excited that they've just gone out there and thrown out a whole bunch of expected conventions from what you want from one of these games. It's really refreshing and fun to play, to be honest. Mm. Is this what the series needed, do you think? Yeah, I think why not? I mean, like, I don't think this is XCOM 3. And I, I, I do wonder if, like, they make another XCOM game and some of these ideas this. come into mm. it or maybe some of these ideas get dropped. But I'm really grateful that they've kind of created this smaller kind of quicker version of XCOM that is being a bit more free in ex- experimentation. I actually want um, fully realized characters with voice acting and story um, to stay in XCOM now. Now that I've had that, I really want um, a future XCOM game to have a combination of created characters and these sort of, I guess, hero units that you could call them almost that um, have fully fledged stories that can't die, that feel essential and feel super unique. I feel like XCOM 2 War of the Chosen was playing a little bit with those ideas, but not fully committing to it. Now that I've seen it come through in Chimera Squad, I'm really into it. And I love just the personality that they're built into these units. Like I really care about a character like Cherub, who is my kind of hybrid alien um, pistol using shield soldier who can like give everyone on his team shields, um, but also can just shield bash enemies. And so he like gains charge ups when people shoot at his shields and then he can like unleash that charge in big melee attacks. He's really fun to play, um, and also he's like the heart of the party. He's like the uh, he's like really fun. He's really warm. Um, he tells jokes all the time. And you know, there's like a little line in his um, his bio about how like he's not the greatest soldier, but just being around um, other units makes them work better. And like their squads end up being better squads as a result of him being around. And it's those little personality quirks like that with Cherub that make me want to put him in his party. And yeah, you build up that that own narrative with your own units in an XCOM game as you play with them. And you're like, my sniper always misses their shots. They're the worst sniper. Um, but it's not quite the same. Um, I, I'm really enjoying the, the involved extra storytelling mechanics of, of this game. Um, so who who do you think this game is for? Is this someone someone have to have come in with the legacy of it, or do you think it is uh, enough of a reset that someone could come in brand new to tactics games and be able to uh, have a great time with Chimera Squad? You know, I think I think this would actually be really good for people that have have not played previous XCOM games. Um, it's stripped back and its mechanics are a bit more relaxed, so there's less um, to absorb and there's less complexity there. So I think if you're thinking of playing a strategy game 
or a turn-based strategy game and you bounced off something like Into the Breach, um, this is a really great game to play. Um, I would still say if you're a baby strategy game player and you really want to dive into a game like this, Mario versus Rabbids or Into the Breach are the best starting games for getting into strategy. But gosh, I love XCOM and this is a really fun one. Well, it's out now, out now on Steam. You can pick it up there or either through the 2K store as well. Uh, it's XCOM Chimera Squad. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. So Gianni, tell me about Gears Tactics. I'm super intrigued by this one. It never, you know, the Gears franchise was never one that I sort of thought um, would be immediately applicable to a tactical game. And I, I guess, uh, you know, if you haven't really played Gears before, it's sort of a really sort of macho, over-the-top, sort of violent uh, third-person shooter where you move between cover. It's a very cover-driven system, and you're sort of taking opportunities as, it, as you sort of play through that. And interestingly enough, Gears Tactics does translate that model really nicely. It actually does... Um, does work quite well and it captures a lot of the same a lot of the same vibe and and really in what you're doing when you're playing gears tactics um is you're replicating a lot of what you do in the third person shooter uh, but in a tactical context so you are looking to move between cover you're using grenades you're switching your weapons for the right um particular uh, moment as you need it um but with all the layers of what you'd sort of come to expect uh, from a tactical game like like XCOM or like as you mentioned uh, they're into the breach or even final fantasy tactics and things like that um so basically it was made it's made by splash damage who have done the multiplayer uh, aspects of the previous gears of war most recent games gears of war 4 and 5 they also did the the uh, halo master chief collection on pc and one of my favorite games that they made a long time ago um, was a game called brink so that's who they're responsible as long as uh, as well as the coalition who have done that um so so interestingly what uh there is a lot in it that has been sort of smoothed out in terms of the tactical experience. Um, it isn't as punishing uh, by any means uh, as sort of jumping into a, a game of uh, XCOM, uh, if you would first get into that. Um, you do have these hero characters, which are pretty similar to the ones you sort of mentioned in, in Chimera Squad as well, and, and they're your main characters. And, and they, when they're in missions have to survive, uh, that you have to bring them through uh, to the next mission. So that really does change the way that you play the game because you are not um, going to lose them at the end of the, year, the, end of the day. You, you need to have them because they progress the storyline as it's going through. Uh, and you can make up your squads uh, through a mix of usually there's one or two uh, gears who are the um, hero characters um, and they... Uh, will be brought into the thing. Some of the times they are excluded from particular missions um, with a bunch of other random soldiers, which are like the XCOM-style ones. You know, you customise them, give them a, a buzz cut or whatever, um, set them up with the right weapons that you want with a number of different classes um, between it. And, and what I find which is really interesting about this this game is that, um, yeah, the, the translation between the... Yeah, between the experience of playing Gears of War uh, and then playing a, sort of a tactical game as well and it in in various ways i think it does a really great job of it um in, in other ways uh it, it still feels like it's a little it's the first sort of foray into this particular field from a developer that um has done a lot in the gears universe um but first sort of step but there's no reason as to why it can't 
it can't be changed in the future or, or you know maybe that's just me coming into it with a an idea about what this style of game is yeah i'm i'm super interested cuz like is there a is there a strategic layer in this game? Because I, when I think a lot about, like, uh, I guess, tactical games like this, that that split between, like, the high-level strategy of, like, building my base or upgrading my units and then, like, the split between the missions themselves is really intriguing. And I'm wondering how Gears Tactics plays with that. I know that there's, like, an involved loot system in this game where there's lots of gear and there's lots of like gear yeah. slots for units. So is that maybe where the strategic layer happens? Yeah, so like, you know... Yeah, pretty much. It's and and a lot of it is um, instead of having to you know complete things and, and purchase items in a store or anything like that in the game, um, you there are items on each of the individual maps, and you get a sort of almost like a loot box or a storage chest um, with gear in it. Um, so you can go in find like a treasure chest in a level, and you can spend a turn to go and collect that. But usually, you're juggling that with the other requirements of the level. Um, and also by completing certain objectives, you are rewarded with another uh, piece of gear as well. So that's kind of how it uh, sort of rolls out there, and you are sort of managing between the different teams. Um, and the other way you kind of get gear is that there's sort of a rotating uh, sort of temporary roster of, of people that you can recruit, and they'll be available for um, you know one or two turns, um, one or two missions, um, basically, and then they'll, they'll go. They'll leave your roster, and but basically, I never use them because I they, I just use them as sort of like a a gear farming method. You just can unequip all the equipment they come with, uh, and because they're quite powerful sort of temporary units, uh, you don't have form an attachment to them. So I just strip them for gear and keep using the same dudes that, that I have been using so, the whole way through. That is so <laughs> weird to me. Um, I'm I'm just trying to process it in my brain. Um, like because the idea of like having a temporary super soldier that you can bring into your squad is fascinating. But I I'm like you. I'm like, why would I ever prioritize using that unit um, versus the ones that I'm actually investing in and building up all their skills for? Um, yeah. But I I love that you just made the decision to just strip all their gear and put it on your team. Yeah, and then I'd send them, send them on their merry way and see you later. Thanks for all those good weapons. Hope the, you know, the locusts don't destroy you in <laughs> the world. Um, but yeah, so I, I think uh, in a lot of ways, uh, it is uh, a quite a good step into a tactical game for you because you can do all the same things that you can do in any tactical game. And, and I have found that the way that actually suits me uh, to play the best is actually to play like super defensively. So most of the time I, I've sort of pushed my squad towards a squad that can uh, have a lot of abilities in an overwatch uh, capacity. So effectively I am just sort of very slowly moving through maps and instead of taking direct attacks on people, I'm literally just setting up little, you know, corridors of fire that I know that the enemies are going to move into. And then when they get close, you know, I'll have to deal with them if they get too close, but most of the time I can, get rid of them before they get anywhere nearby. Um, and that's kind of this, the sort of direction I've sort of pushed my squad into. But interestingly in this, some of those like major bosses that we would remember from the Gears franchise are part of this as well. Um, you know, like you can fight the the Brumac, which is a gigantic sort of beast with two huge machine guns on its back and rocket launchers. And, and you know, the, you f that fight that you do uh, play in the, in the Gears of War games, you, you play it in a sort of tactical sense and you're sort of positioning your... Uh, your units and one part of it is that you know this is a unit a huge enemy that will sort of rotate uh, and change its priority of target so you have to sort of juggle back and forth between a number of uh, of your squad that are sort of placed around a map so there's sort of that's one of the tactical ways that you can kind of do it I, I really I really like it um, in terms of how it has uh, sort of captured that vibe but I have actually had a number of circumstances where 
uh, I accidentally issued the wrong command to someone because the way that you sort of switch between characters uh, in a sort of priority list is a little bit a little bit clunky and I've made pretty bad mistakes like run my sniper into a thing thinking that I had my heavy tank dude running up um, and the sniper just gets shredded um, and that felt that didn't feel for, uh, sort of satisfying and, and part of it might be that I you know should have properly made sure that I clicked the right person but it, it seemed to be that if there was a little funny moment where I didn't 100% click it and, and move the wrong person I'd, I'd run someone in because the priority, you know, the selected window was on the wrong person. So that would be my only sort of challenge with the game. Um, that, uh, you know, that sort of feels a little bit funny. Uh, maybe on the, when it m- comes across the Xbox a little bit later, um, a, a different play style with a controller might alleviate that. But playing with the keyboard and mouse on the on the Windows computer that I have been, um, that was a sort of one little little quirk. And you know, you know what it's like when you make a, a bad tactical decision. In fact, my my partner uh, heard me the other day because I swore loudly. I'm like, oh no, that was the wrong guy. Um, and she's like, what's going on? <laughs> Came into the room. And I'm like, sorry, I just made made a mistake. So oh, uh, I, I know what you mean. Like it, it's so frustrating. And I think especially after playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, which had like the the kind of rewind mechanic built into it. Um, which yeah. was so good for like, oops, I accidentally moved the wrong unit. I have to yes. go. Which or, this doesn't have at all. Or Into the Breach, which has that. Into too. the Breach does this as well. Yeah, you and can you can go back one step if you move the wrong thing, like until you lock in your final XCOM turn. does not have this either, and it drives me crazy because the only time that I've had really bad moments in missions where everything's gone lopsided for me in Chimera Squad so far has been when I've accidentally um, moved to the wrong square. Or something mm. like that. It's it's an accidental move that causes more issues for me than anything else. And mm. I can see the appeal in the previous XCOM games for not having a rewind move button because those games had fog of war and it was all about mm. like encountering an enemy. And if you encounter the wrong thing, it's your own fault. Like you've just yeah. drawn all these I don't, enemies. And that's to it. You. I don't if I had made a mistake where I was, I had made the wrong tactical choice. That's part of the game, right? Mm. I understand that. But for these, it sort of felt a bit punishing because I had, um, you know, I just had the wrong unit selected and I thought I'd clicked on the dude that I'd want to move um, <clears throat> and I clicked the wrong beefy dude and, and uh, someone else had gone into the wrong place and that had caused a problem. And it had actually even got to a point in one level where this had happened so many times that I actually had to wipe the progress of the level completely and restart from scratch oh, because no. I, I ended up at, at the boss fight and I had no stamina left. I couldn't even, uh, you know, do any damage. I was in too bad of a spot. So I was coming in and in, and, in, and when I played it through the next time, it was fine, but it just was, it was quite a, a quite a painful learning experience. And for me, who's played quite a lot of tactical games, um, it was, uh, I don't know how newer players would sort of, deal with that in the same way but i i kind of it'd be hard it'd be interesting to see how how people sort of land on it yeah i'm I'm intrigued by these boss fights because i feel like boss fights in tactical games are either great or they're really drawn out annoying and not fun to replay through because i think a big part of tactical games is like you're not just doing one run in a tactical game you want a tactical game to be like a sandbox experience where you want to play it five or six times you want to keep playing it over the years and coming up with new squads and new um, tactics and and kind of have that long-term approach to it. And sometimes um, bosses, and I'm thinking of War of the Chosen, XCOM 2's expansion in particular, having to go through one of those boss missions where you're like, oh God, here I go again. I know everything that's going to happen can be a bit fatiguing. And so I'm intrigued by 
how um, yeah, Gears Tactics has approached the boss fight mechanics. Have they made them fun? Do they feel like there'll be something fun to do five or six times down the line? Is it something that you you feel like you'll want to replay again and again uh, with those mechanics in it? I think I think so, um, but I think it would be you know the first run through is always that sort of exploration of the of those mechanics, you know, and that's always more challenging. You're trying to work out what these what the different phases are in this particular battle. Um, and yeah, I think it would be, and I think as well as you kind of go along through different multiple playthroughs, you would just really streamline your way through them. Um, I, I do feel that the sort of um, the way that I've been playing, and it may be just through my play style, it has really pushed me to a really defensive position by default, rather than being sort of aggressive. And it may be that I need to upgrade my squad to a point where they're you know they're safe enough to do so. Um, but yeah, no, the bosses seem to be really fun as, as the ones that I played. You know, they, and, and part of it could be that it's really captured the experience of what I remember when I played the first original Gears of War, where they, where, where these enemies came in. And, you know, that's that sort of tugging on that sort of nostalgia thing. And I remember having to learn that fight in sort of a third person experience and then, um, and then now playing it in a, a tactical sense. And it, it, it really feels like they've done a, gr- a great job of capturing the feel and translating it to a different gameplay style. Yeah. So, who do you think this for is like? Who is it for this game? Is it is it for gears like fans in a really big way, or is it just like anyone into tactics can kind of jump into this? I would say it's primarily for people who are fans of gears. Um, and I think that they would they're looking for something new to play in that universe, a different storyline through that because it is very sort of story driven as well. Um, and you know, the cutscenes kind of look like exactly as what you'd expect from a. Uh, a normal Gears of War game, you know, it's shot exactly the same way, set up exactly the same way. Um, and But I think it is quite a good one if you have sort of a tangential interest in learning how to play a tactics game because a lot of the mechanics are simplified. Um, there's a lot there that you would be able to sort of get into it and then say, oh, look, I maybe want to play Chimera Squad after this once I've had a bit more experience. So, yeah, I think it sort of sits in that nice little space um, and, and maybe it will be one once it comes out on the Xbox a bit later, it's it, it, it might be a perfect one to sort of pick up and, and play um, as you go along. Awesome. Well, that's uh, Gears Tactics. It's available now on Windows through the Microsoft Store or on Steam. And later this year, it's coming to Xbox One as well. And a big thanks to Microsoft Game Studios for providing Pixel Sift with a review code. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. It's news time. Adam, what have you been reading in the news? I think I've seen you've sort of put forward something that's a nice historical look back. In our previous episodes, we've had a lot of that, and we're just talking about nostalgia there, of course, as well. And you found a really interesting story about the history of uh, Final Fantasy games. Yeah, look, I love me a good like uh, like oral history piece. And this one comes from US Gamer. It's by Nadia Oxford and it's called Ted Woolsley Remembers Final Fantasy VI Evading Nintendo's Censorship Rules in the Early Days of Localization. And I am just so fascinated by how games get translated and localized for different markets or, or different cultures. Um, and, uh, you know, Final Fantasy games back in the early days of the Super Nintendo um, were translated pretty weirdly, usually by one or two people or very small teams. It's not the same localization process that happens now with a lot of games. Um, and also, we were dealing dealing with a different video game culture at the time that was very worried about the ongoing culture war about violence in games and about the impact of games on kids. 
Um, so this is a piece that really breaks down, um, I guess, Nintendo of America and Nintendo's censorship in general of the script of Final Fantasy VI and the softening of themes around um, a game that essentially played around the idea of uh, a global catastrophe and an apocalypse essentially and surviving after it and how you rewrite a script to imply that people hadn't died during big calamitous events like that. Um, instead, people um, uh, disappeared or wasted away or um, were obliterated instead of died. It's it's very interesting to see the language choices that had to be used, the processes that went around that as well. So it's a really cool article if you're into the history of how games are put together. Mm, and it's also interesting because there's quite a few examples where they've sort of changed the aesthetic as well, not just the sort of tonal or the st- storytelling to kind of make it sense. Like there's a there's an example of a, of an enemy there that sort of changed the siren um, from uh, something that looked a bit more, more risque in the Japanese version to into the a much more palatable for a Western audience. Yeah, look, I feel like games are going to be doing that forever. <laughs> yeah. And in a lot of cases, I'm very grateful for those changes personally. Um, but it, it's it's kind of interesting because it was – it's it's really fascinating how localization impacts, um, I guess, the feel of a game. And there was um, a lot of conversations in this piece about um, particular moments that kind of slipped by um, the the senses and and stayed within the game, or or how this tonal shift of you know particular moments where one character found out that um, that people died of boredom or sadness in the post apocalypse rather than taking their own lives, which is what happened in the Japanese translation. Um, and that kind of rewrite is actually way more distressing and intense to think about and how that can kind of really impact the tone of a text. Um, it's very it's very fascinating. Um, it's interesting now because obviously these games um, have sort of been re-released, are being sort of retranslated, and a lot of the people have kind of fallen in love with the the way that they sort of worked. And I even remember we were talking about the Final Fantasy games, so the localization of that have a lot of weird, um, odd things. Like I remember even the first boss battle where it's localized what it told you to do didn't actually make sense uh, grammatically. So you would always make the first mistake and cause problems. Or I remember people always would say, of course, um, instead of, of course, um, and a bunch of things like that. So it's, it's cute. It's interesting how you remember that and, and stuff like, uh, you know, that all your base are belong to us and, and all of that sort of thing. As oh well, my so. God. All your base. Wow. We've, all your base. Untap um, yeah. the, the memes of the past. Yes, exactly. Uh, 90s kids will recognize this. Um, what I uh, have sort of been checking out is, speaking of 90s, um, EA have actually started to uh, open source and uh, make available their uh, Command and Conquer games. Um, so if you remember those games um, from the 90s, they're releasing the source code. Now, these are games that have pretty much already been taken over by the audience anyway um a lot of people have sort of made an open source version of it um but they're basically making it so that um tiberian dawn um and uh, red alert uh, will be available um and this they'll be part of gpl license which means that people can go and revamp them they can change them they can update the graphics they can go and do all that sort of stuff and it's it sort of nicely legitimizes something that has uh, been happening kind of in the background anyway um, and sort of talks nicely to a topic that we spoke about on the um, the Pixel Sift podcast where we were talking about, the, you know, what's the legacy of these of these games after they, uh, you know, the developer no longer exists or they no, have the, no longer have the capacity to, uh, to look after them anymore. And it's interesting you've seen sort of similar games from 
like uh, you know the original Doom, for example, which is now mostly open source as well, um, where people can sort of run with it and make their own sort of um, versions of it. So it's a nice, really nice sort of story to come out from um, uh, from EA. Yeah, and I think it also just kind of allows us to have that ongoing conversation about like um, archival of games and and making games playable in a modern context so that you can still experience what those games felt like back then. I think more companies should be exploring making their previous old games um, open source so that we can work towards preservation and archiving of games um, so that they can still be played today so that people can understand the historical context of them. I think it's, yeah, um, Red Alert was one of my favorite games when I was, what was I, 12? Um, I don't know if I would play it now, but I'm grateful that it's out there so that people can tinker with it and play around with it or maybe preserve it in its original state as well. Mm. It's interesting as well because this has kind of comes hand in hand with the a remaster of those original games that have kind of come out. Um, so, you know, th- it's not that they are 100% foregoing the, you know, the opportunity to resell a new version, but for those pan- fans who are really passionate about the series and want to, you know, build on it and redevelop it and change it in a new way, they, there's, there's a way to sort of bring those old people, older people, older fans on board and, uh, to a to a new revamped version i just think it's a it's a, a very i think it would be a very cheap pr move because the market for someone who wants to play these older games is probably pretty diminished and if you build the goodwill that they have done in this you're probably going to sell a few new versions of the remastered copy as well so it's a really nice thing to see and it's interesting to see now that we've kind of reached that point um where a lot of these sort of legacy franchises are, are being remastered re-released um and to see ea go and uh do this is a, a really nice change yeah, I think it's awesome. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. All right, well, that's pretty much all the time we have for Mainstream Episode 13. Uh, today we were talking about XCOM Chimera Squad and Gears Tactics. Um, you can find some information about that in the links uh, in this show description or on our website, which is pixelsift.com.au. Now, if you like mainstream, we do this every fortnight. We talk about some of those high-profile games that have come out and the ones that we've been really enjoying. My name is Gianni, and thanks for being part of Episode 13, Adam. My pleasure. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. Now, if people want to see your good, good tweets, where can they go to online? My questionable tweets are at Adam Christou. And I'm on Twitter at G underscore D-I underscore G. And while you're there, also give at Pixelsift a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, we are on there. We put stuff up all the time. Uh, and if you like this, you should check out our other podcast. It's an Australian podcast award-winning indie game interview show uh, where we talk to developers from all around the world about what it takes to actually make games. And we break down some of those big industry news articles as well so you can keep on top of everything. Yeah, and we've got heaps more that you can check out at our website as well. So if you're interested in seeing some video content, some articles, and a whole bunch more, you can head to pixelsift.com.au. And uh, you can also, you know, give us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform as well. It really helps uh, people find out about the podcast. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend? Um, because that's the best way you can help us if you like what we do. You can tell someone who you know would like what we do that they should like this as well and then you can both like what we do together and talk about it 
so you can get them to subscribe on their podcast player, send them a link on YouTube or however you want to share it. So that's Mainstream, uh, episode 13 for this week. Until next time, have fun. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.